Groovers and Rock Cats is the first track from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon album, Breathe, which is a lovely track. And it's got the refrain, but I won't go into the refrain as well because that's a little bit too long. Just to give you a little touch of it. Uh, good morning, everyone here from cloudy Melbourne, where summer never, never happens and winter just goes on and on. We're loving it so much here. Um, cricket game got called off on Saturday due to uh, temperatures approaching zero and horizontal hail. Thank Christ, because the last place I wanted to be was playing cricket. Instead, I bought a couple of bottles of good Italian red, sat on the couch and did nothing all day. Uh, that was quite nice. Um, 24th episode here of the Pushing Rubber podcast. My name is Adam Piggott. Uh, welcome to uh, this episode of uh, podcasts, uh, 24th episode, one a week, we're approaching a six month mark I suppose, things are going quite well with it, getting about 500 listens a week, which is better than none, happy with that, you have to be grateful for things in life, things that you have, we always want you know, it to be a bit better, would I be happier with 600 listen- listens a week compared to 500, well I suppose marginally, would I be happier with 5,000? Well, probably. I'd sell a few more books. Speaking of books, my own physical copies of my second book, Run, Guts, Pull, Cones, arrived today in the mail. Well, they're very smelly this morning from the nice DHL guy. Um, actually, it's really funny. We were, we were at cricket training yesterday afternoon down here at Como Park, where I played for the Yarras, and uh, we noticed it was about 6 o'clock in the uh, evening, and um, a, a jet banked really tightly up, uh, just above us over the city, and it was a large jet, but it, it looked like a, um, a private jet. But one of the uh, guys I'm training with had that plane spotting app on his phone, and he's like, well, that's the, it's actually not a private jet, it's a DHL. And we just noticed it because of its really tight turn around the city. It was quite bizarre. But my books arrived today, so they must have been on that jet that we were watching, and I'm holding the book in my hand now. I don't know, I just consider that, I don't know, isn't that interesting? Anyway, the book looks great. Uh, the cover works. Really happy with this cover. Um, and the formatting is just a huge improvement on the first book, uh, which I then fixed subsequently after working out how to do it properly. Uh, the issue that I had was the run of um, text at the bottom of each page. Uh, I hadn't worked out how to go through and make sure that 
paragraph indentations worked correctly so it went right to the bottom of the page so I fixed verse book pushing rubber downhill which if I think it well I think it knocked off after fixing the format I think it knocked off 30 pages something like that so it was uh, it was quite um, uh, it was quite a dramatic difference um, run guts pull cones we're looking here at um, 272 pages uh, with correct formatting so it's it's definitely longer than my my first book um, and sales going well it's number one in its uh, category on um, Amazon so yeah stand the reviews are starting to come up too which are all five star at this point which I'm really happy about so go out and grab yourself a copy of Run Guts Pull Cones like I said you don't have to have read the first book to read this it's standalone um, it's a rocking good read um, and you know before I'm discovered and become mega famous and people go back and buy my books you can get a copy of the uh, first one that I put out myself after I'm picked up by some huge publisher. Which, and so this copy that I'm holding in my hands will be worth lots of money in the future. Think about that, Groove Cats. And really, why wouldn't you want to get this book? I mean, it's awesome. Uh, look, how good is this? I, I picked up the book. Can you hear it? There's the book. I picked it up uh, to check all the formatting out, and I just started reading. And now, of course, I've read this, obviously, since I wrote it myself so and edited it went through with my editor and everything I mean I, I know it but as soon as I randomly open to a page and start reading I keep reading that's a sign of a really good book so um, uh, yeah grab yourself a copy it's on um, obviously paperback because I'm fiddling with it now and Kindle so you can look you can download it right now at this minute you can get on Kindle and get your fix and you can immediately start Reading from the very first page here, uh, here we go, um, chapter one. Uh, and in the front I've got a little dedication, I mean it's to my wife of course, but then I have a dedication in memory of Dave Craig, Henry Cotsey, Volt and Garnzo, River Brothers all. So they're four guys that I worked with closely uh, on rivers who, uh, three of them died on rivers, uh, one of them didn't. Um, well, actually, two of them died on rivers. One died because of rivers. So Dave Craig, if you've read my first book, Pushing Rubber Downhill, uh, Dave was our video kayaker on the Nile who um, went crazy, basically, in Africa. And it was a really dark, really dark situation. Um, and he, uh, he got flown out by a, a girl that was in love with him. He subsequently went back to New Zealand and uh, he killed himself a couple of years later. Uh, so I, I look at Dave as a, not a victim of a river, but a victim of, of Africa in his own. And his, Dave's problem was he was, a, he was a chronic seeker of truth. And he, he couldn't stand hypocrisy in, in any form. Um, it's critical in your life to be a seeker of truth. Um, if, if you're not a seeker of truth, you're, you're living in, in self-delusion. Someone who has self-awareness seeks truth. But Dave went too far. And while... And remember, moderation is the key in everything, everything in your life. Dave railed against injustice, railed against hypocrisy, so he couldn't handle just being a truth seeker he had to he couldn't stomach him being a truth seeker but so many people who weren't seekers of truth around him so today i suppose you call them sjw's he particular had particularly had chronic disdain for uh, uh tourists who would come rafting and, and pose in the african villages and getting all the, the photos with the cute african kids who the same cute African kids in 10 or 15 years have been shooting the same tourists with an AK-47 if they could um, so yeah Dave um, really really damaged soul miss him Henry Kotsi, um was a young 
Rafter when he came up to start working with us on the Nile from South Africa, who's South African, and he uh, subsequently became a uh, explorer, did the first source to sea descent of the Nile from Uganda to Egypt, which he invited me to go along with him. I think it was about 2003. Uh, I was living in Italy at the time, uh, right about the time of the second book here, and I just couldn't get the cash together to do it, which I regret, because I, I could have done it. That's actually an important point. I mean, when I, uh, my first book, when I went to, um, when I went to Africa, I, I had to sell my treasured Les Paul guitar, bunch of other things, had to give away a good job. But in the end, I rationalised that I could always get stuff in the future, but I would never get again get the chance to raft on the White Nile in Uganda. And that was absolutely the correct decision. Uh, but then I subsequently didn't make that same correct decision when uh, given the opportunity by Henry uh, to participate in his source to see descent of the Nile um, in life you have to take those opportunities even if short term it'll mean having to give up some monetary items whatever the case may be, because you can always get the stuff, guys. You can always get the stuff later on down the track, but you, you don't get those um, opportunities to have those experiences. And when they do come along, you grab them. Uh, really important. Uh, Henry did a bunch of stuff, and Henry was also a writer as well, and he and I used to email each other quite a bit and um, um, pass writings back and forth and critique each other's writings. Um, and Henry, a few years ago, about six years ago, five years ago, was leading a uh, a couple of um, wealthy American clients on a kayaking trip of the Upper Congo, <clears throat> and they were paddling across a pool, long pool. And he, they got to the start of the pool, and he said to the the two tourists, uh, "You guys go first across this pool because there's a big crocodile in this pool, and he tends to come after the last one. And I'll bring out the back." And so the Americans went across and they heard a noise and they turned around and a six-metre crocodile literally came out of the water and swallowed Henry, boat, kayak, plastic kayak and all. Um, that was it for Henry. Um, Ganzo. Ganzo's actually, I, I give him a mention in the second book. Um, he was a, uh, Ganzo means cool in Italian and uh, that was his nickname. In fact... I think his actual name was Daniele. I'm not sure. We just called him Ganzo all the time. It's a great name, actually, Ganzo. I like that word. Uh, very cool guy, obviously. His nickname's cool. Uh, reckless, impulsive. Um, I had to peg him down a couple of times on the river, which he didn't like at all and responded pretty badly to in the immediate short term, but long term, it, we, we respected each other as a result. Uh, he died on a uh, about four years ago on a um, kayaking expedition to the states. I think it was in a California or it was somewhere on the west coast, and went down an awesomely difficult river in flood. and uh, And he was helping out a fellow boater when he um, he got in trouble, and they didn't find his body for a few days. Uh, Volt Marco uh, was. This is a particularly hard one. He uh, he didn't die on the river, but um, he's an Italian lad who was up and coming rafting guide, and just a really good guy, really good guy, a lot of potential. Um, I had earmarked him because I opened a nightclub in Italy. This is two thousand and seven, and I'd earmarked him to work in the bar with me. Uh, that's why that's why I can associate it with that time. I can't get the time period down right. Um, and he was hit uh, on his moped in Verona, and they took him to the hospital. And he's like, "I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine." And they didn't do a scan on him, on his brain, and he had a uh, a blood clot as a result. And literally, he was walking out of the hospital saying, "Yeah, it's all good, boy," and dropped like a stone. Uh, and they rushed him into emergency, but it was too late. Um, so every year. On the anniversaries of his death, there is, or there has, I don't know, I still think they're doing it. I went to all of them, of course, that I could when I was in Italy, but it's called Ciao Volt. So ciao means goodbye, or hello in Italian. And they hold that at the uh, at the canoe club in Verona, and they, they raft down 
the Arge around the, the old centre of the city and then have a bit of a party and, and it's um yeah, just one of those real tragic ones. So that's um that's the dedications to the, the four people at the uh, start of the book. Um there we go, run guts pull combs. Uh, click through to my blog. You can click through on the blog and uh, get your copy on Amazon and I think it's gonna be available in bookshops soon. If it's not yet. Let's check. Check really quickly um, if it's got on there. Um, let's have a look. No, it's not out in the bookshops yet. Probably another couple of weeks. It takes about six weeks with Amazon's one for it to get in the bookshops. Uh, now, this post is going to be oh, sorry this this podcast is going to be a series of podcasts um and i'm sorry if my introduction has been so long i should, probably should have kept it briefer but hey my new book arrived um on leadership and i did a series of posts on my blog uh when i started my blog called the 28 traits of the modern man and that series of posts uh, bookmarked my blog and and launched it and they still get linked a lot around the internet and that and i figured i need to do the same thing for podcast i need to do a series of posts on one theme that i know a lot about and that people ask a lot about it and i, I really see a lot on the manosphere younger guys or guys in general asking about leadership and that sort of thing and leadership is something i know something about um working as a trip leader as a rafting guide for 15 years around the world um working as an emergency response um trainer for the offshore oil and gas industry and training leadership uh, and decision making there uh, as well as corporate leadership um uh, training that i used to do in italy um my whole life has kind of been around uh or the, the the progress of it has been a long leadership, but I've never, I've never taken any, well, I've never taken any formal training in anything. Um, I think I've looked at leadership courses and that sort of thing. Um, they're generally well, they are. Look, there's there's no cookie cutter. Uh, there's no cookie cutter course you can get for leadership. Um, which is ironic seeing as I'm now doing a series of, about leadership on my podcast. But you, you can learn stuff about it. The problem is is that everyone's different. So you, you're never going to get the same type of leader as in personality. And you're never going to get uh, the same cookie-cutter response you can always give uh, a person in a scenario or situation because people are different so if you're a leader and you've got let's say we've got three people we've got um person a person b and person c um and let's say there's an a completely identical issue that you have to deal with with each of these three person people but individually but an identical issue the way you deal with person a with an identical issue will be unique to that person. Likewise, with the same identical issue, person B, you're gonna to have to come at it in a different manner. And likewise, person C, different approach again, all to get identical outcomes. So there's no, like I said, there's no cookie cutter way to approach people and there's no cookie cutter way to approach situations. So leading is difficult, as you've probably gathered, uh, as there are so few good leaders out there these days, uh, particularly now um, in the current age that we live in. I mean, if you look at political leaders around the world, um, nothing springs to mind. Um, probably the uh, ex-leader of, um, of Czechoslovakia would be the best modern-day leader. I'd say, um, Nigel Farage uh, with Brexit uh, and UKIP is a, is a good example of a, um, a political leader uh, who's excellent 
Um, so let's let's have a look at in this episode what we're going to look at are why you want to be a leader and your motivations to be a leader. It's a bit of a paradox. First of all, you've got to have someone there who's committed to being a leader. If you just nominate someone because no one else can be bothered and the person goes, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll lead, then uh, you're going to get someone who's disinterested and who isn't um, necessarily prepared to make the sacrifices required because a leader is leading a, a group for a goal. The goal is the end point. Now, think of Nigel Farage again. His goal for 20 years in Parliament was to get Britain out of the EU. That was his goal. It wasn't any personal um, power for himself. It wasn't any um, status. Uh, And in fact, if you look at his personal life and what he suffered as a result of it, um, he would have been mad to go into that thinking that it was going to be a benefit to him as an individual. But he was completely committed to the cause of getting Britain out of the EU. Agree with that cause or not is not the point. All right? Whether you agree with Brexit or not is not the point here. The point is how he went about it. He was completely and utterly committed um, and showed a lot of responsibility. And as soon as, as soon as it was through, he stepped down, which was a huge indication that he was, he was committed to the goal that he was leading. And this is the point. If you're a leader, if you're a leader of a sports team, if you're the captain of a cricket side or a football side, your goal is to win matches. That's your goal. If you're the leader of a political party whose who's ultimate aim is to get Britain out of the EU, that's your goal. And if you get someone who's just nominated to that position, I mean, imagine if Nigel Farage wasn't, wasn't in charge. Imagine it was like, UKIP decided, all right, let's have a vote and we'll put it to who we think should be, you know, getting us along here. And, oh, you know, we like you, Jeffo, and blah, blah, blah. It just never, if the leadership had been decided that way, I seriously doubt that Britain would have voted leave in Brexit. So you have to have someone who really, really wants the job. You have to want the job. You have to desire the job. But here's the great paradox. The vast majority of people who want the job as leader aren't suitable for the job. They're not qualified. In fact, the very fact that they want the job for most people condemns them to being unsuitable for the job. This is I know this sounds crazy. I know this absolutely sounds crazy. But this this remember I said most people here who want the job aren't suitable for it. So anyone who doesn't really want the job, who isn't completely committed to it, Flat out, no. So all of those are out. Gone. Right. Then, all right, so we're left with the people who want the job, but I've just said that the vast majority of those people aren't suitable or qualified or wouldn't be any good in it. So that leaves us with, let's say, 90... What should I put here? Let's say 99%. 99% of the people who are committed to it, who want it, aren't good for the job. And that's because it's their primary motivations are the question of what we're talking about. And I've I've already said what the primary motivation is for a good leader, an effective leader. The primary motivation is that you want to um, undertake and see achieved whatever the, the thing you are leading. That's the most important thing. But too often, uh, people who become leaders aren't becoming leaders for that reason. They're becoming leaders for personal reasons. And, and most of the time, it's their own personal gain. Now, let me give you an example. Um, Corporations are, for the most part, completely terrible at identifying future leaders. I mean, just abysmally so. And they'll have these internal leadership programs, which are often a running joke. Um, And what you'll see time and time again, if you're in these corporations, is that the people who would make good leaders uh, are always passed over for these internal leadership programs. Uh, and the people who, and this, if, if you're looking at this with half a brain, of course, you're in, you're in the corporation and you, and you look at who gets selected. 
what happens is, is that let's say there's uh, a board of directors and management, and let's say they come up with, all right, this year we're going to do our future leaders internal program. And what will typically happen is each manager or person on the board will get to nominate a certain number of people. To keep it simple, let's say they get to nominate two. Um, immediately, what these board members or managers will, will be thinking is not who will make a good leader, but who will politically back them up. So they will be nominating people who are going to increase their own personal power base as opposed to people who'd make good leaders. So they will be nominating people who suck up to them a lot. Uh, and the people who are sucking up to them a lot, and they'll be, by the way, 90% of their time at, at the office at work will be spent backstabbing their rivals and doing their best to suck up so they can be selected for the leadership program. And thus the cycle will repeat itself and will get worse and worse with each passing intake and with each passing generation that goes through until you have a, a corporation that's completely made up of psychophants uh, and toadies. This is why, for example, Trump has been a very successful businessman because he's always been in charge. Uh, he's never... Um, He's never gone public with any of his businesses, so he's he's not answerable to shareholders or boards of directors or that sort of thing. It's him. He's in charge. He regains control. It's his vision. He knows what he wants to do, and he's leading his own personal increase of his of his wealth and power base. Um, another thing that Trump does very very well is um, identify and recognize top people and put those in key positions. He does that because he's not scared of being challenged. Whereas if you go to a corporation, let's say that we've got our, our manager of, of vice president of sales or whatever it is, and he's got to pick two candidates. And let's say he's got a candidate who's actually, he's just such a shoo-in for the leadership program that if he doesn't choose him, he doesn't choose him it's going to be an obvious snub and he'll make an enemy uh, of a person that could come back to buy him he still won't generally choose this person and that's because he feels threatened by uh, his in this case his subordinate um, a good leader a great leader will select subordinates and people below them who Will be, will be capable of stepping up and doing the leader's job for them. Because the leader, this goes back to the leader recognising that the project, the goal, the task is bigger than them. A weak leader is one who never promotes someone who could do their job because they're continually afraid of losing their job to someone better than them. So it becomes themselves as the end game and not the task or the goal at hand. And you see this time and time again. Take Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hillary Clinton is running for presidency for largely therapeutic reasons, as has been said by the people, to, to calm the inner demons in her head. This is not a good reason to become a leader of the United States of America. But that's, the, that's, that's, her, that's her primary motivation. She lost out in 2000 and um, well, the first time she ran for it, she lost out whenever that was to a black guy. Uh, and this is a white chick from Alabama. Keep that in mind. Um, so she's darned if she's going to lose out to some 70-year-old bouffant with uh, fake blonde peroxided hair. So she'll make a terrible leader. And she's already, already demonstrated that she's a terrible leader because it's all about her. It's all about Hillary Clinton. So your motivation to become a leader is key. Uh, and you have to become a leader because you want to see the job done right. You want to see the job through to its conclusion and you're convinced that you're the best person to take it through from what's on offer. 
the best leaders are those that 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 step up uh, reluctantly, um, but forcefully because they know there's no other choice. They can't put this off any longer, and then even though they step up reluctantly, they're still a hundred percent committed. Uh, I see this, sports clubs are a good way to see this. Who becomes captain of your amateur sports club team? Most of the time, it's therapeutic reasons. Most of the time, it's for them to want to be liked, um, to raise their status amongst uh, their, their fellow teammates, to be thought of as important. Um, and... And these are what I call fair weather leaders. So if the team's winning, they'll be happy and jokey. But as soon as a game starts to go badly, these types of leaders are the first ones whose head drops out in the field. Whereas in, in retrospect, they should be the last one whose head drops. In fact, a good leader's head will never drop, no matter what the circumstances. So you've got to, you've got to want to be in charge. And... Your reasons for wanting to be in charge have to be have to be for the job, for the end game, for whatever the goal and task is at hand. Um, and this is why I'm quite. I mean, a lot of people are looking at Trump as a buffoon, but his motivations to be president are the key for me for what drives him to go out after this leadership. And it's not for the power. I believe. It's for the fact that he's looked at the country that he loves and that he's lived in for 70 years and been wildly successful and has gone, enough's enough. Someone needs to get this back on course and I can't see anyone else who's going to be better than me at this job. I'll have to do it. Traits of a leader. Now, if there are no leadership courses that are any good or if it's or leadership mentor programs or anything like this. How do you become a leader? Well, I've already given you a huge, a huge fundamental, and that's to be to become egoless. The task at hand is always bigger than you. As a leader, you sacrifice yourself for the task at hand. What comes first? The people you are leading or the task at hand? The task at hand. This doesn't mean you walk over the people that you're leading. Um, if you can look after them and soothe them and keep all their individual egos and stupidities uh, under control, fantastic. In fact, that's a, that's a big job of being a leader. But if asked to choose between the two, the task at hand is always, always the more important thing. And you must get that done. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're, uh, you're a figurehead in front of a bunch of people. Also, as a leader, you have to keep in mind it's people we're talking about here. Task at hand needs to be done by people. You need to lead the people to get the task at hand done. So you have to deal with people. And people are, a lot of them are stupid. So as a leader, you're going to need certain traits. You're going to lead certain traits. And I've, always, I've already pointed, pointed out one, total commitment to the cause and ability to put the cause before your ego and your personal... Um, advantage at all times to achieve this you've got to be a strong character and you've got to be able to take the slings and arrows that are thrown your way and in fact great leaders feed off them because the more slings and arrows that are thrown your way the more effective you are the better a job you're doing now take my blog for example and I'm, I'm not leading anything with my blog but if I write a post and I get a lot of hate comments then that's good for me because I know that the post has been effective. If I didn't get any hate comments, and the more the more deluded, the more out there, the more uh, completely irrational the comment, the better. And I'll always press approve in the comment section um, because it means I've really struck a nerve. So as a leader, if a lot of barbs and arrows are being thrown at you, then you're on the right track for the most part. If the barbs and arrows are being thrown by your enemies, in particular, and stupid people. Um, 
This, of course, requires you to have, like I said, uh, yen to be strong. Um, and you've also got to be courageous in the face of a lot of problems that come your way. Um, it's hard to quantify other traits. Um, I find that uh, if you look at Trump, let's use Trump. When most politicians get up and do talks, like when the, the three debates were on and Hillary Clinton was talking, my eyes would glaze over as all this management speak and bureaucratic speak came out that was essentially meaningless. And then Trump would come through brief sentences, straight to the point, nail it down, said what needs to be said. So he was using a massive amount of common sense. A massive amount of common sense um, when dealing with seemingly um, infinitely convoluted issues. I mean, if we're talking about leadership of the United States of America, the economy, uh, foreign relations, dealing with Russia at the moment, what's going on there, you would think that you would need someone who could talk really in, in a really complicated fashion. And the more complicated they speak, the more they must understand what's going on. That's not, that's not the case. In fact, the more complicated a person speaks, the less they know what's going on. And they're trying to use complicated words to, so they can sound intelligent, so they, so they can sound, they can appear. They can appear that they know what they're talking about. Trump doesn't do that. Trump uses very basic language, straight to the point, common sense, derided for this in the mainstream media, but but actually it 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 uh, distinguishes him as being someone who actually does know what's going on. Very, very important. Um, I've no doubt that when Trump began his run for the presidency up to this point, and it's been over a year, I've no doubt that he's learnt a lot. And a, a great leader, an effective leader, has to be able to learn as they go. And you will make mistakes as a leader. Um, and it's important to have the self-awareness to identify the mistakes you've made and rectify them. It's also important to have the self-awareness to identify the successes you've had and learn from those as well. You want to replicate the successes. You want to eliminate the failings. The more you go, the more you do it, the better you should be at doing both of these things. Uh, I'll give you a couple of really basic examples from my own life. When I was in my, I think I was 20 years old and working as a, as a floor manager of a restaurant and I got headhunted by another restaurant, by a general manager, uh, to come work for him. So I gave it a try out. I, I, I said to my, my present boss, I said, I want two weeks off to go work at the other place to see whether it's a fit. And he let me go and do it. So that was good leadership on his part um, because he knew that I had to get it out of my system. And if, if he just ran it and raved, then I'd just quit and go and, and try it anyway. So first lesson. Uh, second lesson. So I went there and the general manager had been training up a couple of young waiters and other floor staff. And he put me on to run the floor in the night. And I, I'd never been in this position of being headhunted before and being asked to go in and lift up an operation. And it, this, this general manager hadn't communicated to me effectively what he wanted me to do. So I took the bull by the horns and went in that night. And within an hour, I'd pissed off every single... Um, well, not every single, but most of the staff members that he had. And he came to me in a complete panic. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you, are you doing? And I, I said, doing the job you wanted me to. You wanted me to come in and kick some ass. He didn't want me to come in and kick ass. So there was two lessons for me there. One, you have to be clear in your directions of what you want a subordinate to do. Two, from my own point of view, as a leader coming in, you have to be clear about what your job entails. If you haven't been given clarity, you got to seek the clarity out before you begin the job. Otherwise, it's going to be a fuck up. And that situation was non-recoverable. And a week later, uh, I parted with them. Went back to my old job. 
my boss was happy to have me back. Another lesson there. So there were mistakes in there from my own point of view. There were mistakes from another general manager. There were successes from the, the employer that I was working at before I went along to take that job. And you have to take these in and you have to analyze them. You have to be able to, you can't sit there stewing in your ego and, and thinking, oh my God, what did I do? This the world hates me, blah, 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 blah. You gotta be very analytical and look at it in a very detached way and think, right, okay, what worked then? What didn't work? Because as a leader, you're dealing with people and people are fuck ups generally. Other traits you gotta have. Um, you really have to want, yeah, I said you, you have to be committed to being a leader, a leader, but being committed to being a leader and succeeding are two different things. So you have to be committed to do two things. You have to be committed to being the leader and you have to be committed to pulling it off. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people think that the the greater part of, of being a leader is becoming a leader in the first place. And once they've, they've got it, well, okay, snazawazi, we're all away. It, it boggles my mind whenever I, I see this happening. You do all the work to become a leader, you get the leader, your job's just begun. Um, and so you have to be committed to success. And a lot, uh, fear of failure is bandied around a lot. People are afraid of failure so they won't try anything. I think fear of success is bigger for most people. Most people can't handle success. They don't want to have success. The idea that, that they'd be successful is daunting to them uh, to the extent that they back off from it. So if you're committed to a leader, you've got to be, to be a leader, you've got to be committed to seeing it through and seeing it through so you get it through and it's done right. Very, very few people are able to do this. Um... I think one other thing is uh, extremes of personality. Um, I get, I have been accused of having uh, extremes of personality, but I've found that my greatest successes in pulling things off have been when I've driven myself to uh, the edge or what you'd call an extreme of my personality. Uh, and you have to be willing, you have to be willing to, to do this. It's very, very important. I know I'm being a little bit, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to, to quantify and talk about. Um, but generally think about this way. Your extremes of your personality uh, are generally what people will criticize you about and supposedly not like about you. But those extremes of your personality are the, thing, are the aspects that will give you your greatest success as a leader because that's where your real force uh, resides. You have to embrace that. It doesn't mean you're extreme all the time. Uh, I think a really... Um, Maybe a, a poor aspect of that is that um, uh, Gordon Ramsay, that celebrity chef. Now, if you watch, I know it's for the TV, and I, 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 don't, I don't know, I know it's exaggerated, but if we just go with what's on TV, he has his extreme of his personality on most of the time. And what that does is it neuters its effectiveness. But if you bring out your extremes of personality at certain key moments, um, then it can really well work for you. Timing is a really big thing in leadership. Knowing when to come in and, and turn it up to 11 out of 10. Knowing when to do that, knowing when to time it right is critical to be a good leader. Now, I've spoken about a bunch of stuff here and some of it has been a bit esoteric. But the purpose of this episode is what are your motivations for being a leader? Right? If your motivations for being a leader, after everything I've just spoken about, if you can be self-aware and analyze your own motivations, and there's just a hint of personal power or ego in there, 
then you're the wrong man for the job at this point in time. Okay? If you want to be leader for therapeutic reasons, you're the wrong man for the job at this point in time. So what do you do? You need to grow more and make more of yourself as a man to the point where you are confident in yourself and your own abilities so that you can effectively lead and you'll be completely committed to the outcome or the end game of the project at hand. And your ego and your own personal power motivations won't be getting in the way. Look at Nigel Farage. He's such a great example. Who Brexit was through, resigned. Done. Job done. You guys don't lead, need me to lead you anymore. Job done. Thanks for coming. That's what, you, that's what you've got to envisage your end game as. Your end game is it gets through, it's done, there's a big celebratory power party, everyone's celebrating you for leading this and pulling this off. Thanks very much. See you later. I'm out of here. So work on your own motivations. Work on your own repression of your ego. Work on not being desperate for um, adulation or not be desperate for people to tell you what a great guy you are. A good, a good task to do this, I find that people who are desperate for recognition from their peers do it in either one of two ways. Um, either they... They exaggerate everything they've done, so they lie. Or whenever they do do something, they make sure that everyone knows about it. Don't lie, ever. Tell the truth. You have to exist in truth as a leader. To be an effective leader, you have to exist from a basis of truth. I've already said that. And two, whenever you personally achieve something, whatever, it's no big deal. People will find out. And that would be much more powerful that you haven't made a big deal of it. Lastly, I said two, but I've got three. Be committed to improving and getting better at what's going on, at what you're doing. Um, at cricket training last night, uh, we've got a bowler who's a poor batsman. And he went in, in the nets to practice. And he had another player behind behind him on the other side of the net talking to him as he was taking each shot against the bowlers. And about five or six different bowlers were bowling at him. And his wickets must have been knocked over a dozen times in about 10 minutes, uh, which is phenomenal. But each time he simply turned around, picked the wicket up, put it in place, had a quick word to the guy behind him, went back and tried again on the same thing that he was working on he wasn't ashamed about the wickets falling over he wasn't ashamed about getting out he wasn't ashamed about looking bad or uh, looking like he didn't know what he was doing in front of everyone else he was completely committed to getting through this uh, flaw in his batting technique and he was going to use the bowlers to help him get better and the more he, they knocked his wicket over the less he worried about it, because as he said to me afterwards, I'd rather they knocked my wicket over in a practice net than out in the middle of the ground at a game on the weekend. And I can tell you that there was a few snickerings amongst the bowlers back at the other end while we were bowling at him. But I can tell you that when he walked off, there wasn't any snickering because he just got about his business. He just did it. And he was completely egoless about what was going on. He was detached from his goal that he was leading himself in. And that was, I've got a flaw in my technique, I've got to fix it, and I'm going to stand here until I do. He walked off and then spent about an hour working one-on-one -on -one with another player, throwing balls at him, working at it, working at it, head down, head down, head down, head down. That stuff is recognised. That stuff is recognised. Going around telling people how great you are, oh, I've done this, uh, that's recognised too from the opposite direction. You're a wanker. Wankers aren't good leaders. Because you have to have the respect 
of the people that you're leading. And you gain respect by being humble and being dedicated to the task at hand and putting the task always before your own ego. So this first episode on leadership has been your motivations for becoming a leader. Why you want the job and are you going to put yourself first or the task at hand first? And this is only the beginning. So the next episode I do on leadership, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to stagger these because if, if there's some of you listeners out there aren't interested in leadership, I'm not going to bombard you with a whole bunch of podcasts for weeks on end just on this topic. So next week it'll be back to me ranting and raving about the ills of the world and the people I hate as per normal, which I know you all love. And then the week after that, I'll do a, a podcast on leadership, etc., and we'll see how they go. Uh, Shout-outs. Uh, Captain Capitalism, who sponsors my blog, has a new book out, Reconnaissance Man. I'm halfway through it. I got halfway through it, and I haven't looked at it for a week, so it's been really busy with a bunch of stuff. But I'm going to finish that off and write a review of it in the next few days. You can catch him at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com, uh, and he has his own podcast. He does two podcasts a week now. He does his normal ranty podcast and his curse-free podcast, suitable for young children and grandmothers everywhere. Um, so uh, check out um, Aaron. He's a really good guy, and uh, he's com- completely committed to his um, ideals, which are exposing fools, frauds, and uh, idiots everywhere, which I can, um, I can agree with. Um, check out my blog on the links there. Uh, if you're not on Gab yet, jump on Gab. I'm, I'm starting to get into it. I just wish there'd be a few more Gab's the version of the, uh, the non-censored version of Twitter starting up. I just wish there were more idiots on there like SJWs and feminists and vegetarians and other horrible people that I could make fun of because, you know, it's, it's... Otherwise, it's, you know, it's just everyone... It's, it's an echo chamber where everyone's agreeing with everyone else. Um, so if you are, you know, a vegetarian, SJW... Um, you know, complete idiot. Please jump on Gab so I can make fun of you and, and let me know who you are, so I can I can uh, I can um, mock you to all eternity. Uh, this has been Pushing Rubber Podcast, uh, the Leadership Episode Part One with Adam Piggott. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week, kitties.